0: Lord, our hearts are really in your hands. You know what's going on in our hearts. We thank you for the way you've been encouraging us this morning, speaking right into our situations, letting our faith rise up. We thank you that you are the God of angel armies. We thank you that you are at our side. We thank you that we will be victorious in you. Lord, I commit the word of God to you now. I pray that our hearts will be fertile soil. I pray that... As your word is shared, I pray that uh, something will happen inside of us and that uh, you will mold us. You're the potter, we are the clay. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of today's message is Godliness, Godliness. And uh, please turn with me to 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. And while you find the text, let me start off by saying that we serve a very holy God. Throughout the Bible, we see Him calling His people to live godly lives, to turn their backs on sin and to shun lukewarm living. He wants us to be on fire for Him. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 to 5 tells us why God is so earnest about us living godly lives. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous without self control brutal not lovers of the good treacherous rash conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people if you turn a few pages back in your bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6 in this chapter, Paul warns Timothy about false doctrines and he warns him against the love of money. And then he says these words in verse 11 and 12. This is our key verse for today. But you, man of God, I can say the same words to each one of us here. But you, man of God, woman of God, flee from all this, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. I'm going to be sharing four points with you today. And the first point is that to live a godly life, we need a personal vision for godliness. Not a general vision. Not a standard response to sin that is expected from us who believe, but a personal vision for godliness. It's a personal vision where we catch God's heart for holy living. And it begins to burn like a fire in our own hearts. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 to 8, Paul writes the following. He's speaking to Timothy. He says, Timothy. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Quite phenomenal. Train yourself to be godly. How many of you enjoy exercising? About 40%. Okay. Let's take it up a level. How many of you enjoy participating in some kind of a race each year? Maybe it's a a cycle race or a a running race, a marathon, or possibly it's a swimming race or some other sport. Okay, we've got a few hands. Okay, well, each year, I try to swim the mid-mile mile. And I know that at least three months before the race, I need to be in the pool training. I've discovered that the more I train the nicer the swim is. I remember once riding the Cape Argus when I lived in Cape Town. And uh, a few times I rode it, and I trained really hard, and uh, it was wonderful. And then one time, I decided to ride it, and I dusted off my bicycle the week before the race. It wasn't fun. But... There's something else that's very important if you want to do well in a sport. You need to have a vision. You need to have a goal. For the mid-mile mile, mile, I would love to do a sub-30-minute swim. That's my goal. That's my vision. A sub-30-minute swim. Byron's smiling because he swims it with me. But uh, my best time has been 31 minutes. I don't know how I'm going to take 60 seconds off my time. I'll need help from the Lord. But I've got a goal. I've got a vision. Paul, writing to Timothy, says to him, Timothy, train yourself to be godly. There's the vision for us, to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a personal vision for godliness? When you take a deep look at your life, is there a desire to become more and more like Jesus with each day, with each week, with each month, with each year that passes? Because after all, that is the essence of godliness to become more and more like Jesus. When you look at his life, his life demonstrated these qualities. He was holy. He walked with power, with compassion, with wisdom, godliness personified. So Jesus needs to be our primary source of inspiration if we want to develop a personal vision for godliness for our own lives. But we can also look to men and women in the Bible as a source of inspiration. We can look at those who demonstrated godly qualities and we can long to be more and more like them. I think of Joseph and his godliness. I think of Daniel and how godly he was. There were many, Enoch, Job, Samuel. If you go to the New Testament, I look at people like Stephen and Paul and Timothy. And then you look at some of the ladies, there's Ruth and Esther, they're shining lights of godliness. But sometimes our best role models for godliness are people that we know personally. People that we've experienced, encountered. For me, my grand. My grand died at the age of 96. She was a godly, godly woman. She would pray daily for all her family members, for a whole bunch of friends. Her favorite song was a song that said, Don't you know a Christian is a sermon in shoes? How's that? It's her favorite song. It was sung at her funeral. In essence, she was saying that a Christian needs to live a godly life. I think of my parents. My mom and dad, they were godly, godly people. I also had a wonderful godly mentor in my 20s and 30s. His name was Roy Lambert. He was like a pillar to me. He showed me a lot of things about the Lord, and he guided me in my walk. I'm very grateful. So sometimes we need to look at the Lord. Sometimes we need to look at Bible characters. Sometimes we need to look at people in our own lives, and they can inspire us to live godly lives. So I want you to think for a moment about someone that inspires you. Who is that person? Try to think about them. Bring their their picture of their face into your memory and the qualities that they have that inspire you. Friends, the starting point for godliness is to have a personal vision. In Proverbs 29 verse 18 it says, Where there is no vision the people cast off restraint. Another version says, where there's no vision, the people perish. But I like this one. Where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. It's exactly what we read about in Timothy. 2 Timothy 3. The people have cast off restraint. In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Unholy. I don't know if that does something for you, but it breaks my heart. I think of it, I think, Lord, people need you. Without a personal vision for godliness, we too can fall into some of these very traps in 2 Timothy. The second point is that godliness requires a sincere faith. Godliness requires a sincere faith. This is surely the most important point. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, Paul writes to Timothy and says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So what is the sincere faith that Paul is referring to? And how can it contribute to godliness? If you read the Amplified Bible, it gives a little bit of insight here. The Amplified Bible verse 5 says the following. I remember your sincere faith, and then in brackets, the surrendering of your entire self to God in Christ with confident trust in his power, his wisdom, and his goodness. I'll add a few points, to live a godly life. Timothy had surrendered himself to the Lord. He had placed his trust in Jesus. And in Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says that without faith, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So the sincere faith is so, so important. The sincerity of our walk with the Lord is so important here. Let me tell you that lip service Christianity, lip service Christianity, it doesn't lead to a godly life. Religious activities won't lead to godly living we need a sincere faith and to gain a sincere faith we need to have an encounter with jesus each one of us has to have a personal encounter with jesus for our faith to become real and sincere and strong you know this is what happened to paul on the damascus road can you remember how he encountered jesus and how his life was transformed well he refers to it in one timothy Chapter 1, verse 12 to 16, this is what Paul writes. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, it's quite incredible, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now when we have a personal encounter, when our faith is birthed, these are the things we receive. When we have a sincere faith, there's two gifts that are given to us by the Lord. Two gifts that set us up for a godly life. Listen to how Billy Graham puts it in his book titled, The Journey. As humans, we have two great spiritual needs. The first is for forgiveness, which God made possible by sending His Son into the world to die for our sins. Our second need, however, is for goodness, which God also made possible by sending the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, isn't it lovely? We sang about this this morning, the cross and the blood, and how Jesus forgives us. And the indwelling Spirit was also mentioned as we were worshiping this morning, and how He helps us to live a godly life. It says here, if we are to live the way God meant us to live, this is Billy Graham speaking. If we are meant to become more like Christ, if we are to travel our journey wisely. Then we need both God's forgiveness and His goodness. We need the work of the Son for us. And we need the work of the Holy Spirit in us. To the great gift of forgiveness, God adds the great gift of the Holy Spirit. This is why a sincere faith is critical for us to live a godly life. We need to have received the blood washing and the forgiveness of our sins. And we need to receive the indwelling Spirit of God so that the fruit of the Holy Spirit will be evident in our lives and we will be godly. If you're struggling to live a godly life, I want to encourage you to meditate again on these two gifts. During the course of the week, will you do that? Will you really meditate again on what Jesus did for you and on the gift of the Holy Spirit? Because as we do that, as these things become real to us, Godliness begins to spring forth from our lives. By the way, there's something else that we need to take note of in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Especially for all the parents and the grandparents here. Any parents and grandparents? Okay, a whole bunch of hands. Sometimes it's quite hard to be parents. Am I right? And grandparents, they always say that that's the best job because you can love them and give them sugar and then send them home. It says here, Paul writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith. He's writing to Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Quite quite a, a statement. You know, Timothy is the first second generation Christian mentioned in the Bible. Quite interesting here. So Timothy's grand and Timothy's mother also had a sincere faith. Let's never underestimate the impact that our faith can have on our children and on our grandchildren. The sincerity of our faith and how we live it out should be a testimony to those in our own home. More than anywhere else, it's in our own homes that we should be loving God with all of our hearts, and it's in our own homes that we should be living godly lives. In our own homes. For our children to witness. It's also our role as parents to share the gospel with our children. To talk to them about faith in Jesus and to pray with them. Just the other day I was reading an article. And it was talking about children that leave the church in their late teens and twenties. And it says, what is the difference of children that don't leave the church? And the first one was that they've, they've heard the gospel And they've been converted. They've had an encounter with Jesus. They've had their own faith birthed. I was quite taken by that. And I just thought to myself, us as parents, we can't leave it to chance. We need to be intentional about telling our children how the gospel works. About the blood of Jesus. About forgiveness of our sins. About the indwelling Holy Spirit. About putting our faith in Him. It's our role. I was impressed by my brother in law the other day. I walked into their home and I saw that he had purchased the foundation series by Derek Prince and he had a manual for himself and for his two teenage boys and uh, they were working through this. I thought to myself, wow, he's being intentional about raising his children up in the ways of the Lord. We need to help our children develop a sincere faith for when they encounter the Lord, when they are converted, when they receive the gift of forgiveness and when they receive the indwelling Holy Spirit, then they are empowered to make decisions that will result in a godly life. So my third point is that uh, to live a truly godly life, our lives need to be devoted to the Lord. They need to be consecrated to the Lord. If we haven't died to ourselves, then the old nature is going to keep on surfacing time and time and time again in our pursuit of godliness. For the old nature has cravings that want to be satisfied. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, it says this For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Can you hear God's heart? He doesn't want us to be slaves to sin. Godly living is something beautiful to the Lord. He doesn't want us to be caught up by the trapments of sin. C.S. Lewis wrote the following in his book titled, Mere Christianity. This is what he says. He says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time, and so much of your money, and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. You know, Timothy's life was devoted to the Lord. He served God wholeheartedly. He had died to himself and he was living for Jesus and he was involved in extending the kingdom of God. Timothy was converted uh, on Paul's first missionary trip a little town called Lystra, and uh, he then joined Paul for the next two missionary journeys. So some of the scholars say that he could have been ministering alongside Paul for up to 18 years. Not just a quick trip. It wasn't a short-term mission of uh, two weeks or three months. He ministered with Paul. Let me tell you, if you read the Bible and you read those New Testament letters, Timothy's name pops up everywhere. I was astounded. His name just pops up. In Acts 16, Timothy joins Paul and Silas in the mission field. So all those things that we read about Paul and Silas, Timothy was there. He's mentioned in the letter to the Romans in Romans 16, verse 21. In the introduction to the letters to the Corinthian church, the Philippian church, the Colossian church, and the Thessalonian church, Timothy is mentioned. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. letter was written on behalf of both of them. Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Colossians 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. First and 2 Thessalonians, he adds Silas in there. He says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church. But one of my favorite scriptures referring to Timothy is found in the book of Philippians in chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. Have a look at the quality of this man. This man was godly. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. What a commendation. What a commendation of a godly life. Now I remember when the Lord called me to live a devoted life. I grew up in a Christian family and I made a commitment to the Lord when I was very young. But towards the end of high school, I got involved with a group of friends that weren't serving the Lord. You know, before I knew it, I was flirting with sin and sitting on the fence in terms of my walk with the Lord. I had one leg in the church, I had one leg in the world. And uh, the Lord, fortunately, in his grace, in his mercy, rescued me from that. Didn't stay there for long. Quite quickly, he called me, he challenged me. He said, Bruce, no, come calling you to a devoted life. Fortunately, I I responded to his call, and I recommitted my life to the Lord. Shortly after that, I joined a new church, a charismatic church, very, very similar to choose life, and something very significant happened there. I was baptized. I was baptized. And my baptism signified a dying to my old life and a rising up in newness of life, rising up into a devoted life for the Lord. If the Lord's speaking to you today and you know that there's something in your life that doesn't honor Him, and if He's calling you to task about that, if He's challenging you about that, I want to encourage you to listen and to respond. If you need to recommit your life to the Lord, then I want to encourage you to do that, even after the service, to come forward, receive prayer and devote yourself to the things of the kingdom. The Lord wants us to live godly lives, And, like Timothy, to spend our days devoted to his purposes. For then we can be salt and light to the world around us. My final point is that to live godly lives, we need to have a teachable spirit. We need to have a teachable spirit. Each one of us has got strengths, and each one of us has got weaknesses. We're all on a journey towards sanctification, to becoming more like Jesus. It's a process. The Lord is taking us on a journey. I don't know of anyone who is bulletproof. I don't know of anyone who's immune to spiritual attack, immune to temptation, immune to weaknesses in their life. Even Timothy had his struggles. It seems that he had a very timid and reserved nature and that he allowed people to look down on him because he was young. He was a very young minister. He was sent off to pastor the church in Ephesus with all its problems and you can imagine how he must have felt at times. So although Timothy did great things for the Lord, he also needed help and the Lord provided him with a godly mentor in Paul, with a spiritual father in Paul. Paul's letters to Timothy are so personal. They're so full of the kind of counsel and instruction and encouragement that you would give to your child. Longing for your child to live a godly life. But let me tell you, things like counsel and instruction and encouragement, they only work. They only work if a person is teachable. They only work. I've had many counseling sessions. People have come into my office, but their hearts have been so teachable. And uh, they share what's going on in their lives, and we spend time in the Word, and we trust the Holy Spirit to speak. And then as people align their lives with the Word of God and with the leading of the Holy Spirit, restoration happens, miraculously restoration happens, but their hearts are teachable. I've also had many counseling sessions where people haven't been teachable, where people have firmly and fiercely held on to a behavior or an attitude or a, a way of thinking that is not godly, not biblical said, so I'm not going to turn from that. And uh, those counseling sessions are far less fruitful. A teachable spirit is a real gift. So what does Paul counsel Timothy about regarding a godly life? Now, if you would like to, I encourage you to read both letters, First and 2 Timothy, during the week. It uh, would be lovely for you just to browse through it and see all the different facets of counsel that Paul provides to Timothy, his son in the faith. But there's just three that I would like to highlight at the moment. And the first one is he counsels Timothy about youthful lusts. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, he says this, Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So Paul was aware of the standards in the world at that time. And I would imagine, if you think about it, that the standards in the world now are even worse regarding youthful lusts. And he's warning him, he's saying, Timothy, flee them, flee the youthful desires of youth. The second thing that he speaks about quite often in his letters to Timothy is false doctrines. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 3 to 4, he says, if anyone teaches false doctrines, and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching. He is conceited and understands nothing. Here's Timothy. He's pastoring a church in Ephesus. Paul writes him and says, listen, if people come and they're preaching anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified, have nothing to do with him. Beware of them. They are conceited. They're proud. They understand nothing. In today's world, there are lots of false doctrines floating around. We need to examine anything we hear according to this word of God and see, is this true? Is this the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus? The third thing that he, uh, I'd like to mention that he counsels Timothy about is the love of money. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm reading verse 6 and then skipping a few verses and reading verses 9 and 10. This is what he says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, godliness... There's godliness again. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let that sink in a bit. Godliness with contentment is great gain. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I believe that Timothy had a teachable spirit and that he heeded Paul's counsel. How tragic it would have been if Timothy had been caught up by any of these things, youthful lusts, false doctrines, or the love of money. And how tragic it is today when believers are caught up in any of these three things. So much of their spiritual vitality is robbed from them. Paul doesn't just counsel Timothy on what to flee from. He counsels him on what to pursue. I want to end with the scripture which is our theme scripture for today. 1 Timothy 6 verse 11 to 12. But you, man of God, you, woman of God, that's identity, man of God, Woman of God, identity. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. In conclusion, we are called to live godly lives. And for us to become more and more like Jesus... We need to have a personal vision for godliness. We need to have a sincere faith. We need to hold on to the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers us. We need to hold on to the indwelling Holy Spirit and the power he gives us. We need to live devoted lives to the Lord, dying to ourselves and living for Jesus. And we need to have teachable spirits. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for what you have done for us, for loving us so much. You gave your only son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Father, we thank you that you've got a father's heart for each one of us, that you long for us to walk in godliness. You long for us to experience the abundant life, the spiritual vitality that comes from living according to your word, according to your ways. Holy Spirit, help us to live godly lives. We thank you for your indwelling presence. We know that with your help, we can walk in victory. We can walk holy lives. Jesus, we want to be more and more like you. Please come and shine your light into our lives. Reveal anything in our lives that doesn't honor you so that we may turn away from these things, so that we may shun lukewarm living, Lord, and bring glory to your name. Now, friends and family, to Him, our gracious God, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless in the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power,